Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. (laughs) But I believe that there's a word for you today and is we look for a word especially to start our new year i can't think of a better word than to turn to the word and uh, last week we started talking about cultivating a love for the scriptures and if you want to have consistency um, durability uh, resiliency through life storms through life circumstances We've got to understand that this pliability, this durability, this flexibility doesn't come from a vibe, a feeling, uh, a high, but it comes from the scriptures. It comes being formed and grounded in truth. And um, truth doesn't have to be a mean street preacher at a megaphone telling you how to live your life. And the way Jesus brought us truth was through lowliness and humility. He was the word in the beginning that before he ever ascended to a throne, he descended first. Your baptism, think of it. Before you're raised to new life, your body goes down in the water in a descent before it ascends. And the way that we become made into the image and likeness of Jesus is through a posture of always descending. Before you ever can attain, you must flush things out. You must get your flesh in line. You must um, cooperate uh, with what the Holy Spirit's doing. I just want to turn to to Romans chapter 8 because this always brings it back into perspective of what is the goal of the Christian life, what's the purpose through your pain, through your circumstance, and how we align ourselves correctly with the Scriptures and having a love for them. Romans 8, 28 says this. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, here it is, conformed to the image of his Son. You and I today, the reason we're in church isn't just to get another message, isn't just to do our Sunday obligation, but we should be allowing the scriptures to um, straighten us up, to cut to some places in our lives, to conform us much deeper and more closely into the image of Jesus. And it says that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justifies, these he also glorified. I pray this year your goal in whatever, your, how you're planning your life, you're building your life and your parenting and your marriage and all the stuff of life, that you never lose sight that he wants to use the stuff of life, the good and the bad and the ugly, to conform you much deeper and more closely to the person of who Jesus is. Many times we say, especially in, in present-driven, presence-driven environments, is we want to feel the presence of God. Well, what is that presence? That presence has a form and it has a look. And when the presence of God shows up, 
it's the presence of Jesus. It's that fourth man in the fire. When he is in the room, it's not just a feeling in the room, but he comes into the room, and that presence has a look, and that presence has a way. That presence has a truth, and it's Jesus. So when you want more of the presence of God in your life, you're saying, I want more of Jesus in my life, and I want to be conformed to Jesus, and it's not just through the high moments of life, but it's through the descended moments of life where it says he makes all things, not just the good things, but he takes all the things and he makes us more like Jesus. And so today as we kind of take a, a part two, if you want to call it, of cultivating a love for the scriptures, um, I want to look at, I think, a powerful passage of, of scripture where we've really been looking of how Jesus teaches us to read the Bible. Jesus teaches us how to study the Bible. Jesus teaches us how to understand the scripture correctly. And I don't know about you, but Jesus is the best teacher because when he goes and he opens the word, your heart burns, right? We looked at that last week that there is uh, more so than you just reading it, you should allow it to read you. And you've got to take the time to sit with it, to chew on it, to meditate on it, uh, you know, meditation is very biblical. It's not some Eastern mysticism. Uh, you can see it in the scripture. We read that last week too. And meditation in the Hebrew would be known as a, ch- as a cow chews its cud. And a, a cow, as he eats whatever a cow eats, you can tell I'm a farmer, whatever a cow eats, the grass, the wheat, whatever, um, he'll take that same bit and chew it digest it, spit it back up, look at it, then take it again, chew it, digest it, spit it back up till it's void of all nutrients. And that's what we have to do with the word. Many of you, you have aspirations, and I bless you to read through your Bible in a month or read through your Bible in a year. But you've got to take time to sit with the scripture because it's not just more head knowledge, it's not just memorizing scripture, but it's walking in the way of Christ. And it's getting out of that text and getting out of that passage, that which can benefit you. Because it's when you sit with something, it it sticks with you a little better versus just engaging one part of your mind. And this is another part of the descent as well, is it's not just head knowledge, but it has to descend into heart knowledge. It's got to go to the place of the heart because that's where Christ rules and reigns. And so we have kind of been plugging into Psalms 1830, Um, If you put this up, I think that this just says it best about the word and about the scripture. It says, as for God, his way is perfect. Aren't you thankful his way is perfect? His way can be relied on, trusted on. We can bank everything on his word. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. Another translation, it says it's flawless. It's flawless. The word of the Lord is flawless. It's proven. And he is a shield to all those who trust him. Or another translation says, he is a shield to all those who take refuge in him. You know, the word is your refuge. The word is your safe place. The word is is your place that is unchanging, that it is the ancient of days, that is, is what stood the test of time for since the beginning when Moses gave us Genesis and all, all of where we see God acting and moving, it's unchanging and it's true and it never changes. And in a world that changes daily and your life that changes all the time, you've got to plant and place your life in something, rather someone that is unchanging. 
and that is true. So to understand his way, what this is saying is we have to know his word. And many of us, we want to understand more of what our lives are meant to be, what's the purpose of the plan of God for our life. But we don't want to put in the time or the effort or the energy it takes to understand what is being said and how we're to walk in it. You know, as we, you look at the famous text in, in Timothy where the word of God is, is, is inspired and it's, and it's corrects and it rebukes and it cuts and, it, and, and when you think of when you sit with the scripture and it begins to cut you, you've got to understand that it's not an angry father wanting to just discipline you and throw you in a corner after a spanking. It's not how God works, but when it cuts you, it's not meant to destroy you, but it's meant to remove everything and anything that is plaguing your life. Every tormenting spirit, every generational thing that is um, coming down your line that you can't seem to take authority over, that you can't seem to get victory over. The word is where the power is to get the cutting effect and to get the correcting effect. But see, many of us, we, we run to the word or we run to Jesus or we run to church when there's emergency or it's a 911 uh, type situation. You know, I think of for all of you who get maybe have regular doctor visits or maybe like me, you see a chiropractor and if you, you miss your appointment over about a month and a half, that adjustment, it feels good in the moment, but when you get in the car, you start to feel your muscles and everything that you've been out of line and your body begins healing itself again. And um, that adjustment hurts a lot worse when you're not consistent with it. So I think a lot of it, it's kind of just this standard cutting that the word does but as much as you sit with it and the time you put into it determines kind of the pain associated with it when the cutting or the correcting begins to happen. And so this year, if you can get consistent with some things and you can allow there to be a consistency of the cutting of his word in your life, um, then you're gonna see a, a tolerance built up that you get from, go from the milk to the meat and you can stay on the meat and you don't have to go back to the milk because you've neglected things or you've, you've walked away from things. And we all have our excuses and all of our reasons. I, I'm, I'm, and sometimes they're valid. Sometimes you're hurt, sometimes you're processing, sometimes whatever season of life you're in. But the thing is, this has to be the one thing you can't put to the side. You can't put down. It has to be the place that is your constant, is your, your variable every time, is your common denominator in all of life. You know, I've come to find too that in the realm of being discipled by the scriptures is real discipleship looks like lordship. That it, when you're discipled by Jesus, by the scriptures, his lordship is becoming more and more seen and clear in your life. And many times we just wanna be discipled into kind of the dream that we want God has or has for our life. Or maybe we want to be discipled into a place or follow Jesus only to a certain point till we get the breakthrough or we get the blessing. But discipleship never stops because it's, it's ultimately lordship that Jesus is, is on the throne of your life, that Jesus stays on the throne of your life, and that you get that rigidness, that grit in your spiritual walk that persecution can't take you off doing what's right for the kingdom of God can't throw you off because Jesus has become Lord of your life. But it, again, it takes some grit. 
It takes, you know, not getting out of the place God has you because of an emotion. I mean, how can we, I could preach right there. That emotion gets us all over the place and it gets us in the wrong spaces and in the wrong places because of how we feel or how we perceive a certain situation. So we've got to understand that when we're being discipled by Jesus, it's a deeper place of his lordship. The Lord will always tend, he will always guide, and he will always prune with his word. And the thing I've come to find, when you're on assignment for Jesus, that's really where the pruning starts. Many of us think when we get to the assignment, or we get to the, the blessing or the breakthrough, then we can say, okay, I've, I've arrived for some time, can, can you put the pruning knives down and, and we'll call it good for a little bit here. But how many of you know that when you're walking fully and walking toward or walking even limping toward what God has you, the pruning will always be there. You can't put the pruning to the side and just walk into the blessing. Why? Because he saves us, he saves me, and he saves you from yourself. Many a times, the, the test of when the seed goes into the ground and when the harvest comes, if you don't allow the time, in Genesis 8.22, it says seed time. The time of when the seed is planted prepares you for the test when the harvest gets to your life. But if you waste the time, then when the harvest gets, it, you'll implode, the harvest will overtake you, the responsibility that should accompany the blessing is not there. And if God gives it to you, it'll do more harm than it would do good in your life. So there's a, a very important part of when we understand when the seed goes into the ground, it's the seed time that we've got to really allow God to develop and to grow us. And ultimately, as we talked of last week, he's not looking for perfection in the realm of understanding. He wants me to be flawless. Many times when you see perfection in the scripture, be perfect as I am perfect, it's speaking more to the place of be mature. Go from immaturity to maturity. And if you were going in a constant, I don't know how fast or how slow the, the process is, if you were going toward the place of maturity, that gives you confidence that God is working, that he's with you. But if you're staying in a swaller or in a pig pen of immaturity, you're usually being rebellious. You're usually neglecting something or you're rejecting the sanctif sanctifying work that Christ wants to do in you and in your life. So again, he loves us too much to leave us to ourselves. Good place to say amen. And so my goal, and again, is we go from a place of maturity of what God's gonna bring into this house, into this church, into this ministry, as we're building this building, is I want all of us to go into mature, more mature than we were at present day, right? Yeah, yeah. That I want, I want the Holy Spirit to be able to do things in us and through us and that he see a church that is operating in maturity and not staying spiritually mature, socially immature, emotionally immature. I'm telling you that it's, it's that mature heart and that mature spirit. It's that, that, um, that dress or that suit or that armor you put on that begins to attract the Holy Spirit in your life because he's looking for consistency he's looking for faithfulness he's looking for durability all the things that if you're not careful you can say if I can cut some of these more 
strict things or things that I have to apply energy to. Those are just works. That's just living in the law. But on the other hand, if you don't have those formations around what the grace of God is doing in your life, then you can call it freedom, but it's the very thing that's actually keeping you immature and in bondage. I've seen it in so many people where you just cry, this is freedom, when no, a baby in his unchanged diaper, but he's in the room, not in the crib, but he feels free because he's not in his crib doesn't mean that that child is free, right? And many of us, we just want to stay in the, in the diaper, but it seems like we have the appearance of what seems to be freedom. Now, I'm of the belief, too, that maturing in Christ doesn't have to be boring. It's actually the quite opposite. The way that he matures you is he teaches you. He instructs you. He walks with you. He comes alongside of you. Jesus even says that come and follow me, come and be my disciple. Even if you look in the early days of, of rabbis and how discipleship would, would work, this would be common language of having disciples, rabbis would have disciples, is rabbis never threw out the blanket invite to come and be my disciple. You had to be asked. They had to ask you personally. So the fact that Jesus throws the net far and wide as he longs for all of us to become his disciples shows that the grace will be there to accompany that which you have need of. The Spirit of God will be there to accompany, to inject into your weakness and to make you strong and to make you more like himself. So this is the conforming that Jesus wants to do. And I wrote it down this way. I want to reject a spiritual lifestyle that refuses to adjust the Scripture narrative and just call it freedom where we just try to massage the scripture, or we try to massage our walk with God in more of a way that we can adjust to versus saying, this is what it says. This is the depth of what it's telling me to do. Now I need to adjust my life. I need to adjust my time. I need to adjust my finances. I need to adjust my family, my marriage. You tracking with me? These are kind of the places we stay out of because it requires effort. You just can't sit there and say, just pour it out, Jesus. Oh, he'll pour it out, but then you have to go and partner with it and begin walking in that way. You know, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Many of us think, too, that when we take his yoke, that it's void of anything. You see, the yoke that the religious Pharisees were putting on the people of that time was very oppressive. It was very law-based. It was void of the spirit, void of life. But when Jesus then says, take my yoke upon you, it's not that there's an absence of a yoke. There is still a yoke, which is his teaching. But we understand that his word and his teaching is life-giving, but it's still weighty. So this is where we can't be afraid of when something is weighty or I don't feel I have the strength to carry it or walk in it doesn't mean you just throw it off and go back to what's comfortable. Again, where I'm trying to get you today is if you can begin to feed yourself in the scriptures, you will go much farther and much quicker and you'll see where Jesus is gonna say, teach us in the parable of the sower that he sows very liberally, gets it out very quickly and throws the seed very far but then what incriminates us of how we receive it is the condition of our heart. 
is the condition of our soil. But people want to blame Jesus because he's not being liberal and social with me and just giving me what I asked for versus he's saying, you're not even looking at the condition of your heart. You can't even receive it. It is good. Come on, it's praise Sunday. It's got to be good today. Daniel, he's, do you see him? He, I don't think he made eye contact with anybody. He reminds me of a kid. He's just looking right over there. Whatever was right there. Greg, maybe you were encouraging him in the Lord, man. I don't know. But it's, it's cute to see him step out. And we want to always push him out. And, you know, as we talk with even the future of our, of our kids' ministry, is it's always healthy to make sure that they are a part of what's happening in here. They just don't come to church and, and go to kids' church, but that they're a part and that this is a gradual transition of when you get out of fifth grade, you're putting your big boy pants on and you're coming into church. Just be thankful when I was in church, you weren't in a tie and a button-up shirt that was choking your neck the whole time. That's another story for another time. What'd you say? I did wear a clip-on, yes. That's the secret. It's a secret to a kid having to tie a tie for Sunday morning. Anywho, all right, Mark chapter four, if you want to turn there, Mark chapter four, we're going to see, and this is really the theme, if you write this down, of how to feed yourself, is how we come to Jesus himself through the scripture determines how we receive from the scripture. So how we come to him determines how we receive from him. And there is a right and a wrong way to come to Jesus in the respect of what the scripture is. When you're broken and you're hurting, just get to Jesus, I don't care how you get there. But then as you begin to mature, you begin to get a posture, and as the Lord begins to prune you, it broadens your shoulders and it makes you a little stronger. And you then begin to sit with the text and it straightens up your spine very quickly because you're getting the life and the layers of what it's giving to you. So Mark 4, and you can, if you're taking notes, you can write it down, talks about the posture of your heart. And this is gonna be the way that you grow in any and every season of your life is the pliability of your heart to receive from the word of Jesus and from the scriptures. So this is what Jesus says, and he explains a parable and the three different types of soil. You can go back and read that. And then he has to give the meaning of this parable. And so here's a part of what Jesus says here. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear. This is important. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So in one sense, if you read this, you can see, wow, Jesus is, is kind of being vicious here. He's taking from someone who does not have and taking that which he didn't use wisely and now giving it to the person who has a lot. So you don't see a, a socialistic kind of Jesus here. You actually see quite the opposite where what would be fair is give to the person who does not have. But Jesus doesn't do this here. 
and I, I want to show you why, but that's not the main point. But what I want you to see first is in verse 24, he says, you've got to take heed what you hear. So before you ever hear, you have to first listen. It's different. And, and listening correctly, when you're taking heed, your heed means being watchful and being careful to that which you're listening to. Now, we can flesh this out in, in many different ways. I could preach a sermon that says everything you're listening to and that which you watch and that which is your, in your everyday diet through your ear gates and through your eye gates. Are you careful and are you attentive and are you watchful to what you let in to your spirit man? Is that what you're listening to, that what you're taking heed to, is it grieving the Holy Spirit or is it pouring water and life and onto the soil where the Holy Spirit lives? And I think in an easy click Netflix type generation that we've all got to really kind of take this to a deeper place where they put, guide, they put algorithms out there to make it easy where you don't have to be careful, attentive, and watchful. They just plug you in very quickly and you get lost in the rabbit hole and you're like, how in the world did we get here? So that, that's a message right there. You've got to take heed to what you hear. And what we've got to understand here is we're given free will, thank you, Jesus, to get to choose what we want to listen to and what we want to hear. So it's in our free will, again, this is where we've got to be formed. This is where we've got to take that which is real freedom and to make sure it produces real fruit of freedom, not freedom to do what I want, freedom to live how I want. You're not going to tell me what to do. The scripture, that's antiquated and it's outdated and it has no real power in my life. It's just words on a page. What you've got to understand is in taking heed to what you're hearing is this is saying in the measure of how you listen, the measure and how you hear it is the measure of what you get out of it, of what is then poured into your life. So you've got to see the difference here. As many times we, again, want to look back up to Jesus or point the finger to him where, he's saying, where we want to say things like, why am I not growing? Why is my family not changing? Why am I stuck in the rut I'm in? And he'll look back to you and say, are you taking heed to what you're hearing? And I think for many of us, we would be puzzled, dazed, and confused to say, well, I hope so, or I think so. But then you have to go and look and see if the fruit, if there's no fruit in what you're hearing, my pastoral encouragement to you was, let's get your ears cleaned out and let's get you hearing a little better and listening to what the text is saying. Because a life of faith, a life of faithfulness is very active. So if you're not active in your faith and walking it out, you are missing the purpose of that which you're hearing. And what this text teaches us too, the whole parable, is that God takes his word serious. He takes it very serious. And we can be so flippant just to throw it around to not be attentive to it, to not pay attention to it. And it's not in an academic level of I need to just understand here, but again, it's the descent, and it's when you sit with the text, you have to almost go to the place of, of lowliness, of humility, and I know nothing, and I'm here to be taught by the scriptures. 
Because in the descent, this is where it works, is it starts with the head and then it has to descent into the heart. Because it's when it gets into the heart is when everything begins to change. Your attitude changes, your motives changes, the place of your soul from your decision-making faculties, all of it begins to be brought in by what you're hearing and what you're hearing begins to get active in your life. Am I making sense today? So there's effort involved in listening and posturing and that it sits, and again, the posture that we have to have is we have to sit beneath the fountain of scripture and say, if I don't get fed, my heart dies. If I don't get fed, my heart dies. And I think if many of us are honest today, there's a lot of places in our heart that are dead because we've not been fed by the scripture. Or if we do, it's like Golden Corral on a holiday, and we go when we just want to plunge at a conference or at a, some special thing. It's never meant to be Golden Corral. It's, it's the everyday diet and appetite. And I'm telling you, this is just, this isn't exciting. Golden Corral is exciting. You get anything and everything you want. I've ate a little Golden Corral. No, I'm kidding. Got my dad bought and I'm proud of it. But what we've got to see is if you can get this formed into your everyday diet, then little by little in the baby step, you're gonna see your life change, not just drastically in one moment. Because again, here's what I want you to see. In this, in this text, with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. So if you're, I read something like this. This is where the, kind of the slogan is, if you want to get cheesy and it won't age well, but more in 2024, right? It's, it's, I'm just going to leave that right there. <laughs> and a lot of us are always looking for mega max more, good, better, best all the time. And if you want more, are you willing to take heed are you willing to say that which measure I put into it is what I will get out of it? And this is just a principle that you can copy and paste on any and every circumstance in your life. That's what I love about the scripture. It's just not limited to hearing the word, but it goes into every part of your, of your life. So you'll be fed by the measure that you use to listen with. And what Jesus is saying that in the kingdom, a lot of times it'll look like the few who get the most. And this takes it into why it is a narrow path. It is a hard path. But it's life-giving and it is very simple. But you've got to understand that when Jesus, again, if you can just picture, and even in Romans it says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. So he gives by the Holy Spirit the love of God is just, it's, it's shed abroad. It's available for everyone and can be engaged with at any place at any time. You can boldly approach the throne of grace. So in, in this text, there's this, um, there's this soil that Jesus teaches on that the enemy comes and he takes it and it's as though the place where he has access to take it is when you're walking in the wayside. It says the seed is thrown and it's taken from the wayside. You can go and read it. 
And what you've got to see through this is that when we follow Jesus, we follow the way, right? And it's on the way, it's a very narrow path, it's a very hard path, but as we're following him in the way, our soil is staying pliable, our heart is open, we're taking the right measure, we're taking heed to the word of God, but it's when we step out of the way and onto the wayside, when that seed gets thrown, just like some will take the seed today and do something with it, others, it will, you're in the wayside, so that the soil isn't gonna take the seed. And so when you're in that wayside, you then become susceptible for how the enemy can come and snatch that which was given into your life. So in understanding the gospel, what you do with the gospel matters. How you apply it to your life matters. And this is why it is, a, it is not an easy work. It is simple, but it's not an easy work to stay and keep yourself out of the wayside. God still loves you. He's still for you. None of that changes. But what it's saying here is, if you want more of him, it's the measure by which you use is by the measure which you receive. So you've got to stay in the way and stay out of the wayside because that's where the seed will be taken. And trust me, it's not like Jesus just takes one seed and begins to throw it out. Again, he throws it all out. And he just, imagine the farmer. Imagine my Uncle Charlie. On your, you're, just, you're throwing the seed out, Right? He's not just being so sparingly. So that's what is, if I get frustrated with myself or my current condition or what I'm walking through, it's not that the seed isn't there. It's just how am I taking it and what measure am I using? Am I taking heed to it? And, the, and where I'm getting at here, the big idea is your growth is your responsibility. It's not pastors. It's not Jesus's. It's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to get out of the wayside and into the way. And Jesus even talks about another soil, right? That the weeds come up and it chokes the seed out. The way of busyness, the way of, of just doing a lot for God, but never being a, a Mary and sitting at the feet of Jesus at Bethany, right? We're too busy being Martha's all the time and not sitting and receiving, not sitting at his feet and being taught by him. I'm telling you, this is just the consistency of the walk that will mature you. If you look at even Mark 4, um, 27, I think it goes on to describe it, that the seed is so supernatural that when it gets in that soil, you can't even control how quickly it wants to begin to sprout up. That's what's amazing is when the word of God is preached, even from a vessel that isn't living the word, the word itself is so powerful that it can supersede the vessel. Because God isn't contained to that vessel. Now when you get a vessel that is preaching from a place of that freedom or preaching from a place of that, that growth or operating in that, it's like a combustive place because you're getting the testimony of what Jesus has done in that person through that seed. You tracking with me? And so you look at it, Mark 4.27, Allison, if you put this up, and this should be encouraging, when that seed gets into that soil, look what it begins to do. I don't know if you have it back there. I'll old school it if we got to. This was the part of my sermon prep where I was feeding Jake and didn't take it to memory. 
All right, there we go. I couldn't get there fast enough. All right. And should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow he himself, and he does not even know how. So it's saying when that seed gets in, you'll look and you'll begin to see the growth of it, and you'll scratch your head and say, how did it get to that place? How has it produced that kind of fruit in my life? That's how supernatural the seed is when you get this word in you. And again, we take the vehicle which Jesus gives us to have growth in our life, to go deeper in our authority, to understand how we're to posture ourselves. We take it and we just handle it so flippantly. When he's, he longs to get the seed in you, if your heart will take it, if you'll keep it pliable, if you'll posture it correctly. That's why when we come in, into God's house, repentance has to be the place of where we say, I've sinned, I've missed the mark, and in repenting, you're cleansing your heart so that your heart can be renewed and receive the seed. That's why we've got to be acute and we've got to be aware in that repentance of our sin is not just a one-time thing, but it is a lifestyle of saying, I'm keeping all of the junk, all of the impurities, all of that which wants to keep my soil tough, un unpliable, wants to keep it in a place where nothing can grow. It is repentance that keeps your heart fresh and ready to receive the seed that God has for you. So you guys ready to receive the seed this year? Receive that word? And there's nothing more encouraging when you actually see the seed take ground and you see the fruit from it. Because you know that he did it, you partnered with it, and then there's fruit um, to accompany it. It's not complicated, but it takes the work of keeping your heart right. In the kingdom of God, this is good, and we'll land the plane with this. In the kingdom of God, faithfulness is rewarded. So when you're faithful, it's rewarded with more responsibility. And this is a tough one, because the more you're faithful, and the more that, which that seed grows, then it takes on more responsibility. And many of us, I think we don't wanna grow because we don't wanna take the responsibility of what that seed brings, or we don't think we want to. You can either be responsible for your dysfunction and deal with that, because you still gotta be responsible with it whether you see it or not, or you can be responsible to the maturity that God's doing in your life, how he's growing you, how he's impacting generations that are coming after you. Every blessing always is clothed in responsibility. And you can't have the blessing without the responsibility. That's why, again, the seed time is teaching you and building you to be responsible, to take it and to walk in it, where it just doesn't bless you, but it blesses everybody else around you, because that's real blessing. You know, um, Sarah, she was praying over generational blessings. I was reading this the other day in Deuteronomy. And when it talks about different generational blessings and different generational cursings, one of the generational curses is actually a fallen mind. That you stay in a place of, of a fallen nature and as a, re as a result, you have a fallen mind. This is why, again, we've got to take the seed serious because in generational blessings, which are accompanied by generational choices, that's what rejects the generational curses, is if you have family in your life, if you know people who aren't serving God, 
they have a fallen mind. So when the seed comes forth to them in a fallen mind, again, it's if you think of in the place of, a soil, of soil, it's not going to go down deep and begin to grow because of how they're perceiving and what their fallen mind is. And this is why Jesus says, because this is the very thing that, sh- that unites the church. It's not how much money you make that unites you. It's not the culture that unites you. It's not the color of your skin that unites you. But Paul teaches this, is what unites you is having the same mind of Christ, having the mind of Jesus, having the mind of Christ, Paul teaches on. And when we shed the fallen mind and we put on the new mind, that's how we all begin to think alike in the respect of what's the purpose, what's the goal, what's the mission, because we all have the mind of Christ. That's the beauty of of Christianity that no man can ever take because it's intangible but when that intangible becomes so real, it fleshes out blessing through your life. And it reverses the fallen thought life. And this is why, again, we've gotta take the seed serious because it renews the mind. And you've gotta allow your mind to be renewed. Because how I view my parenting isn't by how I was parented, by, but by what the seed or what, by what the scriptures teaches how I should parent. How I walk in my marriage isn't by what I've seen in my life, but it's by what the scripture teaches me. And for some of you, when you're breaking generational curses, what you're doing is you're taking the stuff of life and you're saying, I'm not gonna walk in the way that I was raised in if it was dysfunctional, but I'm gonna begin to say, now I'm gonna renew my mind in this, the fallen thought life, the fallen places, and say, redeem it, change it, make it a new creation, and then you can be the one that breaks that pattern in your life. Because it's the same with Jesus. Many have a view of Jesus that is not influenced by the scripture. And there isn't one. Right? So this is why it has to be the point, it has to be the fuel, and it has to be the obsession. The scriptures, the holy scriptures, to know and to understand and approach Jesus in this way. Mike, if you would help me close and Brie, if we'll just posture our hearts and before we take communion. I wanna look at Genesis 8.22 real quick. Referenced it, but it says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So you've gotta understand the pattern of the Bible, the pattern of the scripture. This is what it is, and it doesn't change. And so when you're aligning yourselves more deeply with the scripture, what you're putting yourself is in the design of what our Father, what the, how the Trinity, when they created that which was formless and void in Genesis, what you're doing is you're aligning yourself with the divine design of how this world, how this life, how this planet was created. Because there are natural laws, and when you oppose those natural laws, you reap the consequences. So the same is even in spiritual laws, there is always gonna be seed time and harvest time. And you're never gonna get to your harvest unless you put the seed in the ground, you let the seed die, you give the time that's needed, and you allow the seed and the beauty of what God wants to do in that place to allow it to grow. This is why we can't be quick-tempered with each other. This is why we can't be immature with each other because everybody's in process. And anytime I 
go to shepherd or, or to pastor a situation or circumstance with someone, and this is just a tool for life, is you've got to understand everybody's in process. Yes. You can't just can't, I can't just give it to you in a moment, but what I can is speak into the process of what the Holy Spirit's already doing through the word, not through what I feel or what my opinion is, but through what the word says. And you've got to speak into your process of what the word is already saying. And so as we look at in renewing our mind, in allowing the seed to grow, again, it comes through the posture of descending first. The, the seed, again, has to go into the soil before it ever comes up. And I want you to hear this about descending. I, I think this is going to encourage you and it's going to speak to you. Listen to this. We descend with our mind into our heart, and this is the place we live. The heart is Christ's place. There, Christ the King comes to take his rest. There are other descents as well in life, a descent from pride to humility, from power to service, a descent from unbridled ego to selflessness. Why a descent? Because we live in the incarnation. We talked about this and God becoming flesh. Christ's example in that incarnation is a model for us of what the Christian life entails. The Son of God descended, and we must also descend. The first movement, this is wild, of God to earth was a descent. He came down. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. It is in the words of John the Evangelist, about the descent of Christ into human flesh and into this material wor world. It is the downward move of God, not just to us, hear how deep this is, but into us and as one of us. He moves downwards not to be a spectator, but to paraphrase St. Athanasius, to quite literally enmesh himself in humanity that we humans might enmesh ourselves in his divinity. St. Paul tells us that us what this means for us in the second chapter of Philippians, have the mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to cling to. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant and being made in human likeness, Philippians 2. We will examine the have this mind in you, part below in a second, but I want to share this quote uh, about the wisdom of Jesus, uh, reading from a book I'm reading here. Very good. She shared this in, in the regards to Philippians. She says, in this beautiful hymn, Paul recognizes that Jesus had only one operational mode. Everything he did, he did by self-emptying. He emptied himself and descended into human form, and he emptied himself still further, even unto death on a cross. And he fell through the bottom to return to the realms of dominion and glory. You gotta understand that even at the cross of what would seem like the ultimate descent, he then on Saturday, dies on Friday, on Saturday descends even further into hell, and he takes the keys of death. So you've gotta see the power of this descent. And when you act like Jesus, there is going to be a lot of descending in your life. 
Jesus always sought the lower place, not the higher. In his very resurrection, again, the Lord immediately descends to Hades, the abode of the dead, to usher us from death's grip, those waiting there for him. For us who seek to follow him, it must be the same. The way to God then is down, not up. We too must empty ourselves of ourselves and humble ourselves to bend lower and to take the last place just as the Lord did. In the words of the Desert Fathers, as the breath which comes out of a man's nostrils, so does a man need humility and the fear of God. You see, in these last days, it does not, they don't belong to the fearful, but they belong to the one who fears God. They don't belong to the one with a big ego. They belong to the one who is cherishing humility. This is the path that you're going to receive the greatest measure of what he wants to put into your life. This is where I'm trying to get you to. That before you try to just run to the top of the high place, go to the low place because grace always flows downhill and see what God can bring into your life. This is why when you come into God's house, there, there should always be that fear of God that stirs in you, that humility that should stir in you. And if you want to receive, again, if you want to have the right soil, this is the path to get it and to have it. As we prepare to take communion, if you'd stand with me, and we're going to worship in a moment. There's this great passage of Scripture speaking of, of Joseph and Genesis, the great story of Joseph and Psalms references of how he had to receive the word, how he had to receive this seed. Psalms 105 says that they hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Hear this though. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. So in your seed time, this is the place of your testing. This is the place to see not only that which is in you is revealed, but you get a clear picture of what your real reality is. Not what you think you are, not who you think you are, but who you really are. When Jesus called Peter, when Jesus, Peter approaches Jesus, begins to confront Jesus, what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. So it was actually a good thing for Peter because in that moment, Jesus is getting into the depth of a heart posture that Peter has that says, I need to cut you. Peter then, or Jesus didn't take the time to say, well, what I really mean here, Peter, is, or let me soften it a little bit. He said, get behind me, Satan. But what he was saying is he was pointing to the place of an insecurity or a deficiency or a vice in his life that had to be uprooted, pulled out, and cut not to destroy Peter, but to heal and to save Peter. Because Peter would have his restoration. But what you've got to see, the restoration can never come until the truth cuts you at the heart and the seed can grow. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? 
Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.